The uh, missions conference weekend, isn't that good or what? Wow, tonight we'll have a missionary on too, that's a great message, amen. All right, they're getting the screen ready, that's unusual, we don't normally use screens in the morning, but I think it's kind of nice, kind of a nice change for sure, huh? You get a little pictures and some of you can finally follow, and uh, did you get it? Did you, did you get it? Some of you don't, aren't even awake, are you? You, can't, you didn't get it, did you? I said, we finally got some pictures. Some of you can finally follow. Oh, okay, whatever. All right, whatever. So maybe you're offended. I thought it's just you didn't get it. But anyway, all right. Well, wait a second. Before we get started, maybe you believe what some of other people believe about this issue. And that's why you can't grasp it. I better be quiet. I'm getting in trouble, aren't I? All right. Well, anyway, we're talking about... Creation, fact, not theory. Fact, not theory. And so we're in our series, and today we're going to talk about uh, an interesting concept, and uh, one that you, you have been inundated with and uh, truly uh, bombarded with for your whole life, uh, more than likely. And um, we're going we're gonna to check this thing out. We're going to talk about this issue of, you know, ape to man a little bit today, okay? And uh, I know that. Why, I know, ladies, some of you think your husbands are animals, and uh, I understand that. I do. But uh, we're going to see tonight, today uh, whether or not they really came from, uh, you know, apes or primal uh, primates and all that good stuff. So anyway, we're going to take a few minutes. We'll have a word of prayer here in just a minute. But in the Bible, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I'm supposed to begin with a verse. Isn't that how you're supposed to do it? Uh, I don't know that that's what you have to do, but I think that's what people expect sometimes. Not that you do, but I think sometimes tradition binds us, doesn't it? But uh, nonetheless, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Aren't we glad that we do have a God? And we're going to look at this issue today, and we're going to note three simple thoughts concerning it. And uh, we're going to get things moving along here in just a moment. But again, did mankind really evolve from apes? That's really the issue, isn't it? We're going to ask that question today. We're going to look into it a little bit. Or is he the creation of God? And that's what we really want to figure out. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So um, we're going to go ahead and uh, without further ado, get right into things and not waste any time because I've got a lot of things for you and I want to get through it today. Let's have that word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had, Lord, to gather in this place. Thank you for the wonderful music. The choir did a fabulous job, Lord. The special was just uh, wonderful, right on target, exactly what we needed to prepare our hearts for you and your word. Now, Father, I pray, dear God, you'd fill me with your spirit. Lord, uh, we are fighting a battle in uh, Christianity today. Father, um, a number of people in our world want to even deny or reject that there is even your existence. Lord, today we're glad as believers to say that we know that you, are, that you do exist. But Lord, on the other hand, we need to know why we believe what we do. We need to have some facts. We need to have some figures. We need to, Father, be convinced in our own minds at times. I think it's important that we have, quote, some ammunition, unquote, for uh, those that don't understand, that we can give them some things to really think about, to gnaw on, to, to really uh, consider long life's journey. Because, Lord, they need to know you like we do. Now, Father, help us this morning as we learn more about this issue. May you be glorified in it all. And again, fill me. Let me be your mouthpiece. Father, we might be learning a lesson today, but, Father, as we preach, we want to bring it down to some decisions. Help us, Father, to truly make decisions on your behalf. Anoint every listening ear. May we hear what you have. May we apply truth to our lives, even today. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So anyway, 
Or is, the creator, is, or is man the creation of God? So the, the debate continues, doesn't it? It's a constant debate. It seems like it's back and forth and back and forth. So we're going to first of all talk about the theory. Dr. Newton uh, says, uh, Newton Thomas Sheehan, you can't hardly remember, I can't say his name, I'm sorry. He's, atomic energy commission. He's on the Atomic Energy Commission. He says, scientists who go about teaching that evolution is a fact of life are great con men. And the story they are telling may be the greatest hoax ever. In explaining evolution, we do not have one iota of fact. That's what he said. I'm just quoting him. I didn't say it, so don't get mad at me. There's the theory, but the theory. We're going to look at the theory for a minute. And I want to start by sharing with you a book that I recently looked into. A children's book. We're going to let a children's book teach us about evolution this morning. Bang! How We Came to Be is the name of the book. It's written by a man by the name of Michael Rubino. Rubino. It says in uh, the introduction of this book, it's, or as they try to sell the book, I should say, it's a beautifully designed 62-page children's book on how humans came into existence. We start at the nothing, before the Big Bang, and go all the way through single-celled amoebas, fish with feet, and apes standing up to full-fledged humans. Children's book. It goes on to say, it gets their imagination going and will help them counter with more than just a raspberry when their creationist peers say, so your granddad's a monkey, huh? Well, I come from God. Your child will be able to explain to them how scientists believe humans and apes descended from a common ancestor instead of from a little g-god. Richard Dawkins, an avid evolutionist, comments on the book by saying, Michael Rubino tells the true story, which means the scientific story, illustrated with his captivating paintings. Children will be fascinated by this book, and they'll use it to educate their parents. Isn't that interesting? They'll use it to educate their parents. Now, I don't know about you, but... The last time I checked, I thought parents were supposed to educate their children. I don't know. I'm a little concerned about this book. You may be too. But then again, it is the truth because it's scientific. So let's go ahead and see what we can learn. First of all, the book begins by saying, Before time began, the entire universe was squeezed to a point so tiny that it could have gotten lost in the palm of a child's hand. Of course, there were no children then. And beyond that tiny point... There was simply nothing, nothing at all. These are the pictures that uh, Michael uses to illustrate. He is an artist, and he drew some pictures, and, and then he shares the truth, the scientific truth, of the beginning and the end. <laughs> Before time began. So then he goes on, finally, nothing at all, when suddenly, bang! And that was it. The beginning of everything. More than 13 billion years ago, from an infinite, hot, incredibly tiny, super-condensed state, the universe exploded. Children's book. Children's book, literally for children. He goes on to say, In the bloom of expanding gases and cosmic dust, brilliant galaxies of stars were born. As stars spun into being, many large and small cast-off bits remained in the orbits of these stars, colliding and uh, coalescing, I don't even know how to pronounce that, and I'm, I'm a little older than a child, to form planets. 
end time, billions upon billions of stars would be formed and they would shine their life-sustaining light and warmth as suns upon countless planets in the universe. Uh, Many worlds may now be home to imaginable life forms. Maybe. Lightning Lightning struck, volcanoes erupted, and radiation poured from the sun. This exciting, this excited chemicals in Earth's oceans to intermingle and become single organic molecules. Eventually, fatty byproducts formed protective membranes around these strands of self-relocating, information-carrying molecules. And so it was that we made our first appearance as single-celled organisms. We broke free of the crystal surface, and wander throughout the open sea. We're teaching you evolution. I'm giving you the theory right now, and I'm using a children's book to teach it. 3,800 million years ago, it's a long time, we consumed energy, we grew, we divided, and we multiplied. And we reproduced. Each new molecule created was just a little different from the one before it. Over several million years time, uh, as we adapted to changing environments and new ways of life, our populations evolved into a variety of species. Hold on, I'm going to use this. Some of us, the blue-green algae, derived our energy from the sun and released pure oxygen every time we fed The increased levels of oxygen in the atmosphere killed some cells, but actually stimulated others. While many such cells continue to thrive today as a vast array of bacteria, others encountered organisms with different abilities, and instead of devouring them, formed mutually benefiting partnerships and fused together. As a result, we became more complex. Now I want you to notice something interesting. We consumed... We grew, we divided, we multiplied, we reproduced, we adapted. Our populations, us, the blue-green algae, our energy, we fed, we became. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that bother you? Isn't it something inside say, what in the world is he talking about? We? You mean to tell me that I'm no better than a single-cell organism? That that's who and what I was? That's what evolutionists teach. We're all part of the same family, come from a common ancestor. That's why you better not eat animals, by the way. Because they're your ancestors. They're on the same plane as you are, equal ground with humans. Think about it for a minute. Where's all this crazy doctrine coming from? Right here. Finally, we're almost done. Trust me. I know you're getting, you're like, oh my, can I only take so much more? According to the theory of evolution, we now have, we've, we've gone past now. We've kind of gotten out of the book. I can't care, share the whole book with you because I would be breaking some kind of royalty laws or something. But nonetheless now, and by the way, some of you will be very happy to know that we are just now through four pages of notes. I, I saw you, some of you were looking at me when I was running through those. And I could tell you were like, oh my, we're going to be there forever. <laughs> So anyway, at this point, I want you to know we're doing pretty good on time. We're moving along quickly. But again, according to evolution, or the theory of evolution, life began in the seas, of course. And the first advanced vertebrate animals were fish. Again, according to the theory, these fish began to move toward dry land 
and in some way came to use feet instead of fins and lungs instead of gills. They began to crawl up onto the land and evolving. Of course, this took millions and millions of years, of course. Now again, many books on evolution never consider how, that major, how, 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 to, how to justify that major claim. They simply describe it as simply this, and living things move from the water to dry land, unquote. That's what you find in science books. I mean, and living things move from the water to dry land. Well, how'd that happen? Well, let me tell you, living things move from the water to dry land. But how did it happen? Well, like I said, living things, you get where I'm going with this? And that's exactly how it works. According to the evolutionist, evolutionist scenario, fish first evolved then those into amphibians, yet there's not one shred of evidence for that scenario. It doesn't exist. Not a single fossil has ever been found to show that half fish or half amphibian creatures ever existed. You'll never find it. It's not there. Robert L. Carroll, the well-known evolutionist and author of Vertebrate Paleontology and Evolution, admits this. Obviously, reluctantly, he admits it, but he said, We have no intermediate fossils between Rephidistian fish and early amphibians. We don't have them. They don't exist. The evolutionist paleontologist Barbara J. Stahl wrote a book, Vertebrate History, Problems in Evolution, in which she states, although the relationship of the it's hard to pronounce these words, these uh, Rephidistians to the amphibians will be discussed in greater detail in the next chapter, it should be said here, here that none of the known fishes is thought to be directly ancestral to the earliest land vertebrates. Most of them lived after the first amphibians appeared, and those that came before show no evidence of developing the stout limbs and ribs that characterize the primitive tetrapods. What is she saying? There's no evidence to any transition that took place here. We can't get them out of the water and on the land. There's nothing that shows that transition. That's what he's saying. she's saying. So from this point now, things move along, and it takes millions and millions of years, of course, Recently, there was an article that linked human beings to rodents that lived 160 million years ago. You say, that's crazy. No, it isn't. Look. There it is. It was a mouse-like creature that scurried about in bushes and trees 160 million years ago, and it gave rise to humans, say scientists. You say, what do you mean? Remember, we all came from a common ancestor. So we're developing, we're growing, we're, we're, we're seeing change take place here. This particular creature, uh, Jeremiah Sinesis, the fossil is the oldest ever found of a group of animals called eutherians or placentals. You say, what's that all mean? It means that there are animals that give birth to live young. Well, that's a tremendous step. Now we have people giving birth to live young now. They include these, these different types. They include cows, rats, monkeys, lions, tigers, dogs, horses, whales, and of course our own group of mammals, the primates. So they all descended from here. And if they descended from here, guess what? If we're from primates, who did we descend from? A rodent. 160 million years ago, of course, evolution has brought us a long ways, haven't they, kid? That's crazy, isn't it? That guy's not even that good looking. <laughs> so the popular view now, of course, is uh, expressed through this 
picture that you've seen, this icon that you've looked at in, in uh, books, I'm sure, growing up, science books, uh, school books. I, I saw that my, my whole life. And it is basically that the, the fossil record shows how modern man descended from early ape-like creatures that evolved to become increasingly more like modern man over the centuries. That is the popular view, scientific view, evolutionary view. Now again, um, a long ways from that, that road, obviously, but at some point they became primates, at some point they became apes or monkeys, and they began to evolve over millions of years, mind you. And this is what tra- takes place. Now that is exactly uh, what is claimed. That's what they say happened. Now, that's simply not the case. I want to move from the theory now to the transgression. I'm going to share some things with you now about this theory, this thought. First of all, let me give you a quote by John Reeder. He's photojournalist and author of Missing Links, a book called Missing Links. He said the entire hominid collection known today would barely cover a billiard table. The collection is so tantalizingly incomplete and the specimens themselves often so fragmented and inconclusive that more can be said about what is missing than about what is present. But ever since Darwin's work inspired the notion that fossils linking modern man and extinct ancestors would provide the most convincing proof of human evolution, preconceptions have led evidence by the nose in the study of fossil man. Do you notice that? He says... Preconceptions have led evidence by the nose in the study of fossil man. He's saying that because someone believes something, therefore it affects how they perceive the facts. They twist and turn the fact to to fit their perspective. Guess what? Let's just be honest. We're all very prone to that. I mean, you, you in your life are going to have to at times literally step outside of yourself, look from the outside in if you really want the proper perspective. Because too many times we do have a tendency to do that. You know, everybody included, no changes. In this particular case, though, it seems, at least from John Reeder's perspective, that that's exactly what the evolutionist has done to some degree. Preconceptions have led evidence by the nose in the study of fossil man. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, evolutionists are going to pour over a number of fossils that support evolution, at least supposedly. And, and sadly enough, significance, the significance given to these fragmentary fossils over the last 50, 100 years or so has brought about some tremendous finds. Or have they? In March, chapter, in March 2000, National Geographic hired four artists to draw depictions of the creature presented, uh, a creature excuse me, depictions of a creature. They, they asked four artists to get together and draw some pictures of a creature. And they were going to base that on seven bone fragments thought to be from pre-human ancestors. And you say, that's ridiculous. Seven bone fragments and they're supposed to come up with a drawing of what that creature or that person looked like? Well, that's exactly what evolutionists do. Do you know that those four those four artists came up with four completely different pictures. Now, there were some similarities, of course. Some looked more like a real woman. Some looked more like an ape. Some had more primate features, others more humanistic features. 
But all four of them came up with a different view or a different picture of what those bones represented. And that's exactly what's been going on with science and this issue of evolution. Oxford historian John Duran observed, quote, Ideas of human origin turn out on closer examination to tell as much about the present as the past and as much about our own experience as about those of our remote ancestors. He concluded by stating, As things stand at the present time, we are in urgent need of the demythologization, excuse me, demythologization of science. So we've got to demythify this thing. You know what mythology is, right? It's not based on truth, is it? No, there may be shreds of little pieces of truth running through it, but it's not truth. Well, guess what? He says they need to de- basically demythicize, so to speak, science in this area. Arizona State University anthropologist Geoffrey uh, uh, Clark suggested in 1977 that paleontropic... I said this earlier, trust me. Paleontropolog... Paleanthropology, the study of fossil man, has the form but not the substance of a science. Now what science are looking for, what the scientist is seeking, they're looking for, again, a missing link. When they talk about a missing link, they're talking about a transitional fossil. Something that takes us from primate to human something in between, something that shows the evolution process. And they wanted to see it preserved in the fossil record. The scientific community has been desperate to confirm their theory. And as a result of that, they have been guilty of distorting the truth and in some cases even fabricating it. In their desperation, again, to find that missing link or that fossil that will bridge the gap between ape and humans, they've been nothing less than deceptive. Let me share a few things with you. Right here we have a fossil by the name of Lucy. Lucy's probably the most common proof cited by evolutionists as proof of the missing link. Lucy is the keystone that evolutionists hang their hats on as a major evidence of human evolution. Lucy was found by Donald Johansson in 1974 in Hayter Valley, Ethiopia. Of course, he was on a grant to find, quote, missing links. That's what he was being paid to do by our government. And time was running out. It was just a few days of being sent home without any evidence, and all of a sudden, he finds Lucy. Only 40%, as you can see, of the skeleton was found. Most of it, of course, very little bones. Again, you can see here again, this 40% of the skeleton was found. Again, that's the most complete skeleton of its kind ever found. If you ever hear that somebody found, this is the most complete, mind you, of any skeleton they've ever found. Most complete. That's amazing to me. But anyway, the skull was thoroughly crushed, so no one even knew what the head looked like. Look at that. There's the skull, but yet this is what it looks like in, in books. Isn't that amazing? It, from here to here. Isn't that amazing? Let me remind you again what Johansson found. 
See all them little bones there? And yet, when it was all said and done, this is what Lucy looked like. Whoop, wrong way. I don't want to go too far. Come on, guys. This is what Lucy looked like right here. See her? She's a good-looking gal. <laughs> Look at now. This, and this is what they say she looks like. Now, let, let me ask you, how in the world did they come to that? Honestly, that, that doesn't even make any sense. At least to the common, to, to somebody with any common sense. To me, at least, it doesn't make sense. Maybe it does to some others. I, it doesn't to me. But Lucy basically stood about three foot tall, and she's obviously a chimpanzee. She's a monkey. Johansson tried to offer some proof and, and, and to why he believed that it was the missing link, but it was simply a monkey. And you know what? Most experts agreed that he was wrong as well. What about this guy? Piltdown man. I love saying that. He's another one of evolutionists' surprise missing links. Again, he's known as Piltdown Man. Why? He was found in Piltdown, England. This so-called discovery was, the, was in textbooks for over 40 years, and more than 500 doctorate and master's papers were written on him until he was exposed to be a hoax. Yeah. It was learned after all those years that they took a man's skull and an ape's jaw with two teeth and put them together. As a matter of fact, they filed down the teeth to make them fit and appear to be more human. They treated the skull with acid to make it look old, and they buried it in a gravel pit. Later, they dug it up and discovered Piltdown Man. No lie. No, it's been proven a hoax. Another blunder that's been since discovered as a fraud is a fellow by the name of Nebraska Man. Nebraska Man, as he's known, was found in 1922 by Harold Cook in Sioux County, Nebraska. This so-called missing link was established on the basis of one single tooth. Cook, be, being a rancher and a geologist, he thought that the tooth looked to be halfway between a human's tooth and an ape's tooth. He then proceeded to construct an entire person from this tooth. As a result, Nebraska man, man, his wife, and an entire lifestyle right here. Look at that. You find, you find those in books. Science books. All from a single tooth. You know what? Ten years later, it was shown to be nothing more than a pig's tooth. The following is what Nebraska man really looked like. There he is. There you go. Nebraska man. <laughs> That's something, isn't it? Well, what about this guy? Peking man. He's the next in our fabricated, our journey of fabricated facts. He's also known as Pekingesis or Peking man. Scientists, uh, found, they, what they did, and this is interesting too, they, scientists found a whole bunch of crushed monkey skull bones in a cave, and they found some human tools alongside of them. Their conclusion was that, well, there were these monkeys that were making tools. So, but the thing is, were the monkeys also using the tools to crush their own heads in? 
What most people never heard, what most people never knew, they were never told, was that scientists found ten human skeletons in the same area. They didn't tell them that part. Now listen, a number of cultures eat monkey brains. You may not like them. It's not something I'm going to go to Burger King and order. But people do eat them. And that is just a way of life. It's just their culture. It's the way it works. And so a more probably practical and probably realistic view would be that these humans made tools, smashed the monkeys' heads, and ate their brains. And that's what we're finding. But you've got to understand that evolutionists struggle, evolutionists struggle for evidence to support their particular theory. And it just seems to me, and I may be wrong, but it seems that they're allowed to come up with whatever facts and evidence they wish to in order to support their theory. The Peking man was made from pieces of a crushed skull found in the 1920s in Peking, China, and conveniently, all evidence was lost during World War II. And yet, his statues and his museum still stand in Peking. Then we come finally to conclude our search for the missing link. We're going to consider that all-familiar, best-known primate, Neanderthal man. You can't go far without seeing Neanderthal man. Because he lives in most of our homes, ladies. (laughs) He also sells insurance for Geico. (laughs) Neanderthal is one of the most widely known missing links. You read about him, you've heard about him. He's very famous. The first one, or Neanderthal, was found in 1856 in Neanderthal Valley. When first discovered, Neanderthal man was classified as 100% human. When he was first found, he was 100% human. What was found, of course, was a man whose back was bent over. Three years later, Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of Species, was published. Of course, a a mad hunt, I mean, a a, a mad dash to find proof for evolution was on. And seeing there was no proof, evolutionists started to reclassify Neanderthal man as evidence for evolution. Their thinking process was that humans walk on two appendages. That means legs. Two appendages. I never really go around saying, how's your appendages? (laughs) But they walk on two appendages... And on the other hand, you know, we know that monkeys or apes, they go around, of course, on all four. Therefore, this ape was evolving up. I mean, he wasn't all the way up, of course, but he had moved from four appendages to two, and now he's... Right? That was the conclusion now. Their conclusion, however, was completely false. The Anderthal man was not a missing link. He was just an old man with arthritis. It's that simple. It is that simple. Now we're going to move to the truth. We saw the theory. We see the transgression. Let's consider the truth for a moment. Sir Fred Hoyle, English astronomer, professor of astronomy at Cambridge University, said, 
The chance that higher life forms might have emerged in this way is com- comparably, uh, excuse me, way is comparable with the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. That's pretty, pretty bold, pretty blunt. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. See, there is only one real missing link today. It's not a fossil that they're seeking within the fossil record. No, it's, that's not the missing link at all. The missing link is none other than Jesus Christ himself. When a man or a woman finds Jesus Christ, their life becomes complete. Until then, there is a void between the past and the present. Between, before then, there's a void in the heart of a man and the heart of a woman. Once they find the missing link, once they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, once they invite Him into their life as Lord and Savior, now he or she is complete. Mankind is the direct offspring of a God who created him. He is not found in a, a link to some primal ancestor. He is the direct creation of God himself. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, us have, let, him have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I like the passage over in the book of Psalms, chapter 139. The Bible teaches us that uh, the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Turn there if you would. Psalm 139, verse 13, please. There is no doubt that mankind is extremely complex. But even as our, our uh, Sir Hoyle mentioned, it would be likened unto a tornado going through a junkyard creating a 747. That somehow we were just formed out of mere colliding cells. It didn't just happen. Notice what the Bible says. The psalmist states in 139 verse 13 of the book of Psalm. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God says today to you and I, he says, listen, I created you and you are very unique and very special today. Every last human being is a individual. Every last human being is very unique and special in their own way. And God himself created you and he made you extremely special. 
I want you to realize that God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist may have said it, but God intended it to be that way. And God made you the way you are. You say, but I don't like how I've been made. I don't appreciate how I look. I don't like some of the defects that I might have in my body. I wish I was taller. I wish I was shorter. I wish I was skinnier. You may say a lot of things about how you look, how you appear, or what you are. But let me tell you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You better get it through your head. There is nothing common about you. You are distinct and you are different from all others. That's all there is to it. You say, but I'm a, I'm a twin. I've got a twin that looks just like me. I guarantee you, you're nothing alike. You may have a lot of things that are similar, but I promise you, you are your own person. I'll tell you why they can't find any transitions in the fossil record. I'll tell you why some evolutionists feel that they have to either falsify, fabricate, or even forge their findings. I'll tell you why the scientific community is hesitant to remove the icons of the past from the pages of grade school and upper educational textbooks. I'll tell you why they they continue to grasp for straws concerning proof. I'll tell you why. It's because God is real and mankind is created. There's no fossil record that's going to prove otherwise. There's no life on Mars. There's not going to be any water that's going to prove somehow if we could just find some water in Mars. It would prove that life could spring forth there as well. Oh, you can go and have all the water you want, but it takes a God to create a man. In Psalms, the question is asked that I believe appropriately speaks of those who have embraced and endorsed evolution. Look, if you will, Psalm chapter 2. We're in a sad state of affairs today. We have a generation that is growing up without a belief or a faith in a God. And when I say a God, I'm talking about our God. I'm talking about the God of this book, the Bible. Here in the book of Psalm, this issue is addressed. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 1 to say, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Boy, isn't that evolution. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Oh yeah, we can go ahead and try to dismiss the reality of a God in heaven. We can try to say that he doesn't exist. We can go ahead and teach our children that we just evolved out of some amoeba into a man. But let me tell you something today. There's a God in heaven. and You can't mock him. Sooner or later you'll bow down to him whether it's in this life or the next. So the question really is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ today? Well, I don't know if I believe the Bible's true, then what is? Sadly enough, every man and woman, every boy and girl ultimately has to come to their own conclusion and make their own decision on this. Is there a God? And if there is a God, there is a God that made mankind. And if He made man, He also put this book in our hands so that we could honor Him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken 
by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, the Bible says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Every one of us has to make a decision. Every one of us has to make a choice. And if we believe that there's a God in heaven and that he created all things, then that means that we have a responsibility to yield our life, our all to him. And that's exactly why mankind continues to look for another solution than God. Because he and she does not want to have to submit to him. Be accountable to him. Answer to him. But it doesn't matter. Because there's a judgment coming. Every single person will stand before God and give an account. Joshua in chapter 24 verse 15 says... And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. By the way, you can, you can say there's a God in heaven and still believe it's evil to serve him. You say, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is this. You say, but if I would come to Christ, I'd have to give up some things in my life. You're saying it's evil to serve the Lord. I mean, that's basically what you're saying. Well, no, I'm not saying that. Well, then why don't you come to him? Well, I don't have to give this up. Well, then you're saying it's evil to serve the Lord. I mean, we, 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 we have all these semantics and we say all these things and we somehow try to appease our conscience. But the real reality is this. There's only one of two solutions or one of two answers. You choose either for or against God. There's no in between here. It's either all for God or it's not for God. And sadly enough, we like to play the middle ground. We like to play gray areas all the time. I want to believe there's a God, but I don't want to have to believe His Word. I want to serve the Lord, but I don't want to have to do everything He says. My friend today, we have a God that created us, and He demands, and, and He delights in our faithfulness and our service. We owe it to Him, though. We need to give Him our best. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, He says... Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose today. This morning, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I mean, if you died today, if you closed your eyes in death, if you took your last breath this moment, where would you open your eyes? Would it be in heaven or would it be in hell? See, the Bible speaks of both. Where would you spend your eternity? You can have confidence that you are on your way to heaven. But you can only have that confidence if you'll fill that void that's in your life with the missing link. And that's Jesus Christ. This morning, you need Christ in your life if you don't already have him. And he created you for himself. He so desperately wants to fellowship with you. Commune with you. Spend time with you. Won't you just invite him into your life? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. As many as believed on his name. You just believe on him. I believe that I'm that sinner that you died on the cross for 2,000 years ago. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm a sinner. But Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sin. To accept me into your beloved. To let me live forever. 
I want your salvation today. See, only He can provide that. And this morning, if you haven't trusted Him as yours today, accept Him. You're a child of God. Maybe you've taken for granted your purpose in life. God didn't create you simply to live your life as you please. He created you to bless you beyond your imagination. See, we think we're happy doing it our way. You can't be any happier until, if, unless you're doing it His way. His way is the happiest way. It's the best way. And God knows exactly what you need in your heart and in your life. And as a believer, I want to encourage you to abandon your own dreams, your own desires, your own future. To say, I want what Christ wants for me. I'm willing to give Him my very best. He created me. He deserves it. And I'm going to give it to Him. I think a number of believers need to come to an old-fashioned altar or maybe make a pew their altar today and say, Lord Jesus, I've taken you for granted. I've allowed my life to be lived somewhat selfishly. Oh, I believe in you and I've even accepted you as my Savior, but I can honestly say that I've totally and completely yielded this to you. And I'm going to tell you, God wants it. And when He gets it, you'll be amazed what He'll do with it. More than you or I could ever do with ourselves. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you've done for us. Lord, we are grateful, Father, for your love and thankful for your mercy. But, Lord, we are grateful that you are our God. We think of the God of this world who is so cruel and who hurts and harms people. But, Lord, you are one that wraps your arms about us. You love on us. Lord, there may be those today that are children of God that maybe just need to come to an altar or maybe at their seat say, Lord, I'm so glad you created me, but what you created is really yours then. It's not mine Not only did you create me, but then you bought me with a price when you saved my soul from hell. You purchased me literally out of the clutches of Satan. And you've given me a home in heaven. I now give myself wholeheartedly to you and your word. I want to please you with my life like never before. And Lord, there might be those that are in the room today too that have yet to accept and receive Christ as Savior. They they believe there's a God but they have yet to confess their sin and then to accept you, Lord Jesus, as their Savior only. Father, help them today to make that decision. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder if anyone would say, that's me, preacher. If I died today, I'm not 100% certain that I'd go to heaven. I don't have that settled in my life. I can't say for sure that if I closed my eyes in death today, I would open them in heaven. Please pray for me, preacher. With an uplifted hand, you'll say, pray for me. I don't have that settled. I don't know that for sure, but I need your prayers. I don't have that one nailed down. Pray for me, preacher. Anybody like that today? I'll pray for you. That's me, preacher. I don't have it settled. Just raise your hand quickly. Let me see it. I'll pray for you. I'll quickly pray for you. Yeah. Anyone else? Anywhere else? Father, we come to you, Lord. We thank you, Father. And I believe there was a hand or two that came up, Lord. I don't always see them as well as I'd like, but Lord, I do believe there might have been Lord, if there wasn't, there may have been a heart that was lifted up that felt the need to raise a hand but didn't. Lord, I pray, dear God, you give them courage to respond to this message now, Lord, to the Word of God and to your Holy Spirit as He pricks their heart and moves them and woos them to you. May they see that, Father, only by trusting and receiving Christ can they settle their eternal destination and find that missing link in their life. 
Lord Jesus, do your work now in both the believer and the unbeliever. Help us to finally leave here all one in faith. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. As the music begins to play, won't you come? I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Come see me at the front. I'll be at the front. I'm a child of God, preacher. There's some things I need to settle with my creator, my master, my Lord. Settle it. Deal with it.